Um, man, man, I love those guys. It, it gets hard every year, you know, like, like graduating seniors. Like at this point, uh, some of those students weren't, they were in elementary school when I got here. And uh, so, so watching them literally grow up through middle school and high school has been incredible. And it's, uh, it's, it's just, as boys to men say, so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. And so I, uh, we love you guys. We love you guys. And uh, please, please don't leave. Okay, so um, we've been talking about bold. We've been talking about uh, uh, living bold lives. That's what God's called us to. Nobody in here has been called to a boring life. In fact, I was at BHS this past week uh, speaking to their Christian school and, and their Christian club, and I asked them at Bartlett High School. They tried to keep me. They thought I was a student, but I got out. But they they asked me what uh, what you know. We want you to talk about being bold. So I was talking to them about it. Like God doesn't want you to live a boring life. He doesn't want you to live an average life. He wants you to live a bold life, an exciting life, and that's still true for us this morning. And so, uh, seniors, that's what I want for you. And, and church, that's what I want for you. I want you guys, as you enter this next chapter of your life, I want you to live it in a bold way. I want your story to be crazy. I want your story to be one of you trusting God in ways that people will be in awe of. I want your story to be one of you believing God and obeying God in ways that people will look at you and go, what are they doing? I mean, bold, bold lives. And I think the same thing for our church. I want that same thing for our church. So we've been looking at David. We're gonna start last week talking about bold. And so we're gonna continue to look at David. Uh, So to recap where we've been, uh, David fought uh, this guy named Goliath, um, and they get, so they got into it. And uh, so basically, you guys know the story. Goliath had threatened God's people. God's people were afraid. They weren't trusting God. They were afraid. And, and David said, well, I'll fight him. And, and David fought him not out of hubris, but he fought him because he trusted the Father. He said, this is the Lord's battle. The Lord will deliver me from Goliath. And so ultimately he has victory over that and Saul's ready to reward David. That's the end of 1 Samuel 17. And the question is, did David stop living boldly after that? I mean, you think about that accomplishment. That's pretty much up there, right? Like, how are you going to beat that? You know what I mean? Like, that year's Christmas card had to be pretty good. You know, like, kill the giants, right? Like, that had to be pretty good. I don't know how you top that. But that doesn't mean that David stopped living boldly because ultimately God described him as somebody after his own heart. That's a big deal, right? That's a bold life. And so we're going to continue this morning looking at what did David do after that great victory? How did he continue to live boldly? So if you have a, a Bible, a smartphone, or something like that, want to get to the Bible app, go to 1 Samuel 18. We've just been in 1 Samuel 17. Let's look at 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. And we're going to see David living boldly again. Even after this incredible battle and, and, and after this incredible victory, we're going to see David continuing to live boldly. So let's walk through this chapter. We're going to start in verse 5. We're going to start in verse 5. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three stringed instruments. As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So Saul puts David in charge of his fighting men, which just sounds like the coolest 
gang ever. But anyway, like, who are you? We're the fighting men. All right, all right, I'm, I'm on board with that. So he puts him in charge of that. God gives him incredible victory in all of these battles. Um, and when they get back, there are, there are women that go and, and celebrate and they sing of the great victories of their leaders. And so they start singing this song. You know, Saul has killed thousands. And Saul's like, yes, yes, right. And then they go, well, David's killed tens of thousands. Well, how does Saul react to that? Look at verse 8. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained. But they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. Saul hated this song. It might as well have been country music. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just horrible in his ear. And he becomes jealous of David. Look at verse 10. The next day an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear and he threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. So Saul is tormented by this evil spirit that God sent him that we see way back in 1 Samuel 16. We see Saul disobeys God. God says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, give it to another, um, and, and God sends this spirit to kind of torment Saul because of his disobedience, and, and so David is there, and, and David's, David's like a really good, you know, based liar player, heart player, whatever, and, and it kind of calms Saul, well, it's not working, and, and so Saul, in his jealousy towards David, decides he's going to pin him to the wall uh, with a spear, and it says David uh, uh, evaded him twice. What does that mean? That means that David, yeah, he matrixed it once, right? And it goes over him, and then David goes, chorus two, right? And he, like, keeps playing and dodges it again. So pretty crazy. David was crazy. All right, look at uh, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a 1,000 men. David led the troops, continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. So Saul is afraid because God's on his side. The same God who had been there for Saul is now on David's side. The same God who delivered Goliath into David's hands is now on David's side. He's afraid. He don't want to end up like Goliath. He don't want to be against that. So he sends him out, go fight, just get away from me. God blesses and blesses and blesses. So Saul hatches a plan. Look at verse 17. Saul told David, Here's my oldest daughter, Miram. I'll give her to you as a wife if you'll be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So Saul intended, he said, you know what? He'll be a warrior for me forever. He'll be married to my daughter. So I'll just send him out just more dangerous things I can send him out on, dangerous missions, whatever. And I'll let the Philistines kill him. So Saul is using his daughter as bait. What a cool guy. Look at verse 18. Then David responded, who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? When it was time to give Saul's daughter to Mirab David, she was given to Adriel the Meholathite, say that three times fast, as a wife. David responds humbly. Saul is giving him this accolade, which by the way, like Saul had promised already, remember? What was the deal? You go kill Goliath and what will I give you? I'll make you rich, I'll give you my daughter as a wife, and no more taxes. Your family pays no more taxes, right? And so David, I mean, you could say is entitled to this, but David's humble. Even in victory, David is humble, and he says, no, 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 I'm not, who am I to be the king's son-in-law? Who is my family? We're nobodies, okay? 
Like, I'm just, a, I'm just a servant. You can't make me your son-in-law. And so, look at verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, uh, Michal, loved David. I can't do the <laughs> that requires. So anyway, loved David. And when it was reported to Saul, it pleased him. I'll give her to him, Saul thought. She'll be a trap for him. Again, cool guy. And the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, you can now be my son-in-law. Saul then ordered his servants, speak to David in private and tell him, look, the king is pleased with you. All the servants love you. Therefore, you should become the king's son-in-law. So Saul is now going to use, try to use like this affection, this love. So his daughter has this affection for David. It's probably true that David would have affection for her. That somehow they must know one another. And so he, he sends his little minions to go to David. And he says, peer pressure him, all right? Tell him, look, you can marry her. It's not a big deal. You're, you're all right. Look at David's response. It's crazy. Look at verse 23. Saul's servants reported these words directly to David, but he replied, is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? I'm a poor commoner. The servants reported back to Saul. These are the words David spoke. Like, I mean, David's still honoring the king, and he says, I'm, look, I'm, I'm just a commoner. This is not a trivial thing that you're talking to me about. Look, there's a bride price that usually has to be paid. I can't pay it, all right? He deserves it. She deserves it. I can't do this. He's humble. Look at verse 25. Then Saul replied, say this to David. The king desires no other bride price except a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hands of the Philistines. So Saul lowers the price. He says, you know what? Actually, just go kill these Philistines, right? Kill a hundred of them. And what's he thinking? Well, David will go out there to try to win his bride, and he'll die. This will be great for me, right? And so, I mean, think about, think about the trouble that he's sending David into. What's David's response? Look at verse 26. When the servants reported these terms to David, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. He said, cool, I can earn that. Yeah, absolutely. Did you say 100? No worries. So David, like David's down. He is ready to go earn uh, this spot in the king's family. Look at verse 26. Before the wedding day arrived, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins, presented them as full payment to the king to become his son-in-law. Then Saul gave his daughter uh, Michal to David as his wife. She, Saul realized that the Lord was with David and his daughter Michal loved him. And he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. And every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all of Saul's officers. So his name became well known. David did it. David didn't just do it. David doubled it. Why did he do that? Well, one, obviously the Lord is with him, but why did he do that? He honored the king. You've asked for 100, you deserve 200, right? So he keeps honoring him, he's humble, and at that point, he marries Saul's daughter, and from that day forward, he is Saul's enemy. He becomes even more afraid of David, and David becomes more and more successful. David in this chapter lived incredibly boldly. He did some bold, bold things here. And I don't think they're the obvious things. I don't think that you say, well, yeah, he killed 200 people. That's pretty bold. No, I don't think that's it. And you, and you say, well, well, yeah, he dodged a couple of spears. Yeah, I don't think that's it. I think maybe they, maybe they might look a little bit more subtle, but, but I think once we dive into the scripture together, we're gonna see how bold David really was. And so what are the principles of bold living that David's gonna show us? Here they are. I'm gonna show both of them to you, and then we'll break them down. So seniors, you paying attention? I know I've been talking for like 10 minutes. So are you still with me? All right, so here we go. I think the two principles are humility first and honor more. Humility first and honor more. These should, be, these should be goals of ours. If we're trying to live bold lives, humility first, honor more. Two principles we're gonna look at today. Let's start with the first, humility first. We already saw that when David was at a disadvantage with Goliath, he was humble. He was humble. 
Yes, absolutely. David said, hey, look, I've killed lions and bears. I'll kill this guy too. Yes, he came out to Goliath and he said, I will today, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut your head off, right? Like, I'm gonna feed your body to the birds of the air, right? Like, but we understand that he was humble. He didn't take credit for it. He didn't say, because I'm so strong, because I'm so good with the sword, because whatever. No, what did he say every time? This is the Lord's battle. The Lord will do this. So he's humble. He's trusting that God will do it for him. But So we know that David, when he's at a disadvantage, he's humble. And, and most of us, when we're at a disadvantage, we talked about it last week or two weeks ago. That's one of the things God does for us when we're at a disadvantage. He humbles us. There are times where I think that I've got it all together, and it's in these moments where I'm powerless that I'm, I'm humble. So maybe that's not as hard of a move. Maybe that's not as bold to be humble when you're at a disadvantage. But what about when you win? What about when you're a victor? I mean, David had just defeated Goliath. We saw at the end of 1 Samuel 17, it says that he went and he grabbed all of Goliath's like armor and his weapons, and he brings it back to his tent. And then he goes and meets with the king, and what does he have in his hand? Goliath's head, yeah, he's walking around. What's up? Oh, Goliath? Yeah, yeah, I took care of it. Oh, what's up? Hey, I'm David. Yeah, this is Goliath. Say hello, Goliath, right? Like he's walking around with Goliath's head. That's like a real victory, right? And Saul tells him, like, you could marry my daughter. Like, you can be a part of a royal family. If I were David, man, I'd be strutting around. Like, I would be absolutely, I would never put that head down, right? I'd walk around like, do you remember Goliath? Wasn't he scary? Not so scary now. I did that, right? Like, I'd be walking around like, I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't buy food or drinks ever again, right? Because it's, you know, I'd be like, where's my wallet? Oh, Goliath's head that I saved you from. Let me see what else I got. Oh, oh, it's on the house. Great, fantastic. Like, I'd, walk, I'd be strutting around, right? But that is not David. David is humble in victory David chooses humility first. And he tells the king, I mean, he goes to the king and the king goes, here's my daughter. And he goes, I'm, I'm not worthy to do that. No, 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 I, I'm just a commoner. Like, I'm, a, I'm just poor. Like, I'm, no, 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 my family doesn't deserve this. His response to all of this praise and all this opportunity is humility. It's humility. And David shows us that each end of the spectrum, whether you are at a disadvantage or great advantage, humility first. That's a bold choice. And so think about it. We should always be asking ourselves, what's the most humble play here? What's the most humble play? You want to live boldly, seniors? Always ask yourself that. Whatever situation you're in, what's the most humble play? What's the most humble play? Not what's going to win for me. Not what's going to give me a great advantage. What's the most humble thing I can do right here? Now, that's bold. That is bold. Like in your workplace, do people go around asking that all the time? No, what are they looking for? Advantage. We've been talking about this. We talked about this the first week. We always look for advantage, always, all the time, all the time. That's what we're looking for. But instead of looking for that, what should you do in your workplace? Do something bold. Look for what's the most humble move I can make. That's a, that's a bold move at home. That's bold in our relationships. What's the most humble play here? And why humility first? Why humility first? Because pride is always lurking especially in those moments of advantage that we just talked about, in those great moments of victory. Where is your pride? Like forefront of your mind. It's right there. As soon as there's some great victory, as soon as someone's patting you on the back, where's your pride? Hey, hey, I'm right here, I'm right here, I'm right here, right? Like pride is right there. It's always waiting for us. And I mean, when I win, pride, it doesn't take a second for pride to be there. Pride's like, what's up, what's up? Reward me, give me credit, I'm here. You're welcome, right? Like pride is there, it's natural. Uh, we, uh, I was playing a, a video game with my son. We had bought this new game. It was a, a while ago, but at the time it was a new game uh, called Star Wars Battlefront. 
And so you get to play as Star Wars characters. And so I didn't really know the game. Like, literally, I just put it in. And Max was like, I want to play. And I said, cool, cool, cool. Who do you want to be? And he said, I want to be Darth Vader. And I was like, we'll talk about you choosing the dark side later, but let's just play the game. So he chooses Darth Vader, and then I choose Han Solo because, of course. And so anyway, he's the Indiana Jones of Star Wars. And so um, we're playing the game. Well, if you don't know anything about Star Wars, what's wrong with you? Leave. But uh, if you don't, then Darth Vader, obviously, he, he uses the Force, right? Like he's got, like he can like choke you from a distance. And he's got like all these powers, right? Han Solo doesn't. Han Solo doesn't do that. He, he has a blaster, and that's about it. Well, in the game, uh, so I've never played it before. Max never played it before. Um, so I go find Max. And so we're fighting each other, right? And I'm like, oh, it's on, son. And I, like, run up to my, at the time, five-year-old with Han Solo, and I'm just like, pew, pew, right? And then he just starts mashing his controller like this, right? Just like, ah, right? And all of a sudden, he's activated the force or whatever, and he chokes me out. And, like, Han Solo falls down. And I go, I think the game's broken, son. Like, I, like, I'm, like, I'm dead. And my son's like, I beat you. And I was like, no, well, let's not go that far, all right? Like, it's best of seven, right? Like, I, he's like, I beat you. And he is just the proudest thing. If you ask my boy to this day, if you say, if you bring up Star Wars Battlefront, he might bring that game up. Because there was a time where we, I'd be putting him to bed, hey, Dad. Do you remember that time we played Star Wars Battlefront? Son, I swear. Like, stop. <laughs> stop bringing it up, right? Like, he brought it up. And that's, that's not weird. He's not a weird kid for that. That's normal, right? That pride is waiting for us there. But instead, like, a bold move is what? Humility first. Even when I lose, my pride is still there. When Max beat me, where was my pride? Immediately, I was making excuses. Well, son, I mean... You're using Darth Vader, uh, Han Solo. I'm pretty sure I, he had a broken leg uh, when the game started, right? Like, so, you know, well, son, I mean, my controller, oh, it's the battery in my controller. That's why I wasn't moving, right? Like, you start making excuses, and we do that all the time. When we're at a disadvantage, we make excuses. I mean, that's what Israel did. Look how big he is. Look how, look how little we are, right? Like, we aren't equipped to fight somebody like that, and we do that all the time. Look how big this circumstance is. Look how difficult this is. That's pride. That's a prideful move right there. You know, tempted to, to tell others how bad off I am and just complain and make excuses. That's pride. A pity party is a pride party. That's pride. And so again, a bold move is a humble move. And giving into those prideful thoughts and patterns, you know what? It's boring. It's boring. It's not bold. It's not a bold way to live. Everybody lives that way. Everybody lives that way. You will never pat yourself on the back and people will go, what's he doing? What are, excuse me, what are you doing? Oh, this is pride, right? And they'll go, oh, I've never heard of that. Everybody does that. Everybody pats themselves on the back. Everybody makes excuses and complains. Like, that is not bold. That is boring. What would our lives look like if we made the bold choice to choose humility first? There's this scripture in Romans 12. Uh, it's it's, it's this, this passage in Romans 12. It's, it's excellent. It's about Christian ethics, and it's worth your time this week. Students, you version, Romans 12, check it out. Everybody, Romans 12, check it out. It is worth your time. And there's a reference to humility there in verse 16. It starts off saying, live in harmony with one another. What a bold, bold goal, by the way. Live in harmony with one another. We got to see uh, Christian was up here. That was Brad uh, making harmony with him. Brad was uh, incredibly terrified. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, but anyway, he did a phenomenal job. 
What was Brad doing? Making harmony with Christian, right? And that's no easy thing to do, especially with Christian. No, I'm just kidding. That's no easy thing to do in harmony. You know, working... Wait, who did you boot, me or Christian? We'll work it out later. All right, so anyway, that's no... That's no easy feat. Oh, it's Christian. Oh, there's a confederate out there. All right. I saw you. All right. That's no easy thing to work in harmony, right? It's not just saying get along. Be in harmony, going the same direction, accomplishing the same goals. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Let me give you an example of how hard that is. We are, we're in staff meeting. We're talking about like raising money for the, the kids camp thing. Lynn brings up this great idea about envelopes. You know what immediately goes in my brain? Well, what about the students, right? Like immediately, I'm thinking about like, well, what am I going to do about my trip, right? Like, what's wrong with you, right? Why am I like that? It's hard to work in harmony that way. That's Genesis 3, relational conflict, always looking out for ourselves. That's Genesis 3 right there. What a bold move, what a bold goal to say we will live in harmony together. So when that idea comes up, my first response is not, what about me? My first response is, yes, how can we champion this? How can we make this work? How can we make it even better? I mean, that's, that's, that's the goal there, a lofty goal, a bold goal. How do we do it? Don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own estimation. So be humble. Nothing divides and destroys like pride does. The Lord hates pride. That's what the scripture says. The Lord hates pride. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, guess what comes next? Disgrace. Disgrace comes. Like that is, pride is it's destructive and it's divisive. When I was a little kid in Sunday school, I don't remember a lot about Sunday school from, from when I was a little kid. Um, it, it was just, you know, you go every Sunday and it all just kind of blends together. I often wonder, like, what will my kids remember about Sunday school? But, uh, but I don't remember a lot, but... I remember this story, and I was thinking about pride. So I, was, I was told this story in Sunday school as a little kid, and I, I'm 32 now, and, and it's still, like, burned into my brain. So here's a really dumb little story, but it, it worked when I was a kid. Um, there, were, there were two ducks and a frog who were in a pond uh, on a farm, and it was a hot summer day, and they're hanging out, and they're in this little body of water, and they're just, they're buddies. All three of them are hanging out, and um, so it's just, there's kind of this drought comes along, and, uh, and so the, the water starts to dry up. And so the, the ducks say, well, you know, we can just fly and find more water. Like, we'll just fly to better water. And then they say, but we can't leave our buddy behind, like our, our frog, our little, our little frogger, our froggy, our, 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 our froggy frog frog, whatever his name was. Anyway, we can't leave Frank the frog behind. And so they go, well, we don't know what to do. Like, he can't fly. We don't know what to do. And so the frog had an idea. And the frog said, why don't you hold a stick um, in your beaks and I'll grab onto it with my mouth and then you can fly me with you to, to more water. And so they do that. The, the ducks get the stick in between, in between their beaks and the, the frog gets up and bites the, uh, bites the stick and holds on with his mouth and they start flying and it's working. And what do you think the frog is feeling? Just all, He's so proud of himself, right? I am so smart, right? So he's just sitting there and he's just thinking about what a great idea it is. As they're flying over the farm, the farmer admires it. And he says out loud, that is so clever. I wonder who came up with that. And the frog couldn't resist. He opened his mouth and said, I did, right? And uh, it fell all the way to the ground. And I, I don't know why, I've never forgotten that story. I've never forgotten I, I, that perfect illustration of how pride is destructive. It's incredibly destructive. And so you know what? Pride doesn't lead us to God's best for us. 
It leads us away from God. It, it leads us away from people. Um, it's destructive. And it's, can I just, be, it's boring. It's bo- It's not a bold way to live. It leads to predictable places. It leads to selfishness and laziness and anger and grudges and blah. It leads to just all the things you expect it to lead to. That's not a bold life. It's a boring life. So live boldly. Humility first. In every situation, humility first. But, but I'm at a disadvantage. I got to watch my own back. No, humility first. Choosing humility first, it puts you right in that sweet spot of trusting God. That's what we've been talking about. Put, embracing disadvantage and trusting God. Humility puts you right in that sweet spot where you say, God, look, if you don't come through for me, I'm gonna choose humility first because that's what you want me to do. But if you don't come through for me, if you don't get my back, if you don't fight for me here, I lose. That's an incredible place to be. That's where God shows up. That's where God slays giants for us. That's where God moves mountains for us. That's a good place to be. So choosing humility first. I want us to kind of give a picture to understand humility a little bit better. If you think like, how can I choose humility first? Because humility, I think, sometimes gets a bad rap. Like we confuse humility with like humiliation, right? It's about, it's about like thinking bad about yourself or putting yourself down or anything. That's not it at all. I'm sure you've heard this before, like humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? Isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not putting that attention on yourself. Um, I think it was Greg Laurie, I believe that's the pastor I heard this from, uh, I hope that's right, uh, who, who he gives this acronym for us to pursue humility. And, and here's the acronym, JOY, JOY, J-O-Y, JOY. And here's what it stands for, Jesus, others, yourself. Do you notice the order? Jesus first, others second, you last. You put Jesus and others before you. That's humility. That's what humility looks like. Thinking of Jesus and others before yourself. How will my words affect others now? How will my actions affect others now? How will what I do represent Jesus now? At work, is your speech considering the Father and your coworkers? Or is it considering what you want to accomplish? Is when you're mistreated, are you considering others? Even the person mistreating you, are you considering them before you're considering yourself? There's a reason that spells joy. Because to, to, to be humble like that and to consider others before yourself, that leads to joy. We know that. Everybody has experiential knowledge of that. Everybody. Haven't you been in somewhere where someone puts your needs before your, their own, where someone is more considerate about what you want more than what they want, Right? That leads to joy. Haven't you put yourself in that position where you've trusted God and and you've put your needs second or last to other people's needs and you see God provide you joy? There's joy there. The opposite way of living, the me first way of living doesn't lead us to joy. You know what it leads us to? Yaj, I guess. That's that's backwards. Uh, That's the opposite. So anyway, it doesn't lead us anywhere good. You look at Saul. That's what happened with Saul. Saul wasn't thinking about David. It says that, that when David got all of this, these accolades and all these other things, instead of Saul saying, man, that's so great for you, David. I'm so proud of you. Would you continue to fight for our kingdom and make me look good? Would you continue to do that? Instead, he's like, what about me? And what about, my, what, about what I get? And, and what did Saul get at the end of 1 Samuel 18? What did he get over and over again? He got jealousy. He got anger. He got resentment. And he got an enemy. Cool life, Saul, Right? And that's what we get. If we don't pursue joy by putting Jesus and others before yourself, that's what you get. You get yaj or whatever. We're going to fix that. All right. But anyway, and like that's a natural thing to naturally think of ourselves like that. But it doesn't lead us where we want to be. So remember 
joy. Humility first, remember joy. So the second thing, honor more. So humility first is the bold principle that we have there. Honor more, or, or, or humility first, and the second is honor more. Remember I was just telling you about Romans chapter 12, that Christian ethics chapter, it's so, so good. Again, please go read it this week. Um, you will not regret it. But Romans 12.10 says this, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Saul offered David in honor, marry my daughter. And what did David do? He outdid him in showing honor. Sir, I can't, like, I, I, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. My family's not good enough. I don't, I don't have the money to honor you with a, with a gift. I, I, I can't. David wasn't looking to let honor terminate on himself. David wasn't looking to go, yeah, all right, I'll take her. Yeah, I'm pretty great. Have you seen this head lately, right? Like, no, he's not looking for honor to terminate on himself, and he's looking to show honor over and over again, even when the king didn't deserve it, even when it looked like the king didn't deserve it. The king throws a spear at him, and what does David do? Back to the top. He, like, keeps playing, right? He doesn't run away. He doesn't start a rebellion. He's leading the fighting men, and everybody loves him. People are singing that Tens of thousands have been killed by David compared to Saul's thousands. What could David have done in that moment? You're going to try to kill me? Oh, I'll take the kingdom from you then. I'll start a rebellion. Now, what does David do? He stays in his place, giving honor. Even when, even when it doesn't make sense, he gave honor. And what does it mean to honor someone? Well, honor literally means to esteem or value or great respect. So to honor someone is to, is to demonstrate to them that they're valuable demonstrating to them that they are valuable, right? I mean, last week we had our children's workers come up here and you demonstrated to them that they're valuable. How did you do that? You applauded for them. You showed them how much you, you, you cared about what they're doing. You, you came up, you gathered around them and you prayed for them. You honored them. We did that this morning for the seniors. We honored you guys. You're valuable. We brought you up here and we said, this is your time. We want to feature you. We looked at pictures of your, your baby pictures, right? And all those, those cute little pictures and then and then like what happened to some for real though we got to talk about what happened but anyway we looked at your pictures and we gave you a gift and we committed to you you're valuable that's that's showing honor um and so the mark of a bold life is someone who is always trying to show people they're valuable the mark of a bold life is someone who's always trying to show people that they are valuable so how do we honor we do it a lot of different ways we do it with our words of course like words of affirmation I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for you. I, I, I see this gift in you or whatever it is. I have a friend who shows me honor with his words all the time. He's always careful with his words and, and, and he's always genuinely trying to thank me for something. He's looking for something that he's genuinely thankful for, which is not easy with me, but he's doing that. And so maybe that's not natural for you, but, but I would challenge you to do that. For the people in your life, look it away. Don't fake it, all right? Don't fake it. No one needs that, all right? No one needs flattery. Go ahead and read. Just, just Google flattery and Proverbs and see what the Bible says about flatterers. God's not a big fan of flattery. So don't flatter. No one needs that. No one needs that. But look at the people in your life and find a genuine, a genuine compliment, something you genuinely appreciate about them. One of the things that's going to do is it'll, it might change your heart towards that person. When you show thankfulness, the Lord might change your heart. But the other thing is, 
you will compliment them. You will honor them in that way. Genuinely appreciate them and tell them. And you say, I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's not me, okay? Like, the way I show affection is that I'll, I'll sit still through a whole movie with somebody. And that's my way of showing affection. Like, I was here with you, right? Like, I don't, I don't talk like that. I don't do that. That's going to feel weird. It's not me. They're going to look at me and go, what's wrong with you? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten a compliment or an incredibly kind word from somebody you didn't expect? Have you? Like someone said something to you that was super nice and super complimentary and you're like, whoa, you know, like you would never have expected it from them. Now let me ask you a question. Did the compliment feel good? Did it encourage you? Did it make you feel, yes, of course it did. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the, the tradition of that person. It doesn't matter the trend that they've shown of they don't normally talk like this. It doesn't matter. You got that compliment and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. You got that kind word and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It wasn't uncomfortable for you. It wasn't. It did what it was supposed to do. I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible thing. So just do that with your words. Look for ways to genuinely be grateful for other people with your words. The second way is we do it with our actions, of course. Preferring others over ourselves, it's a form of honor. Um, taking the time to, to, to enter other people's lives, to bear their burdens, that's a form of honoring them. Being quiet and holding your tongue, that's a form of honor. Taking an action that only benefits someone else and not yourself, that's a form of honor. So what can you do to display honor to someone? You know, I, there was somebody uh, who confronted me about something. Um, if you can believe it, uh, I did something wrong. Um, and so, I know, shocker. And so anyway, someone had to come, like they confronted me about it. And as they did, you know what they did? They were so, so careful with their words. They were so careful with their words. They didn't come in and go, you were wrong, you're dumb, right? Now, they could have said that, and they would have been pretty accurate on that, right? Like, I was very dumb, right? And, and they could have said that. They could have said, you were thoughtless, and I can't believe you, and why would you ever do anything like that? They could have done that, but they didn't do that. They were incredibly careful with their words, incredibly careful. In fact, when they came in, they were complimenting me. They were being kind to me, and then led into the confrontation, and you know what that was showing me? I'm valuable to them. That they, they took all this time in the way that they confronted me so that, so that I felt loved, so that I felt valued. That's honoring. That's a way that we honor with our actions. It's incredible. And the third thing, how do we honor? With our words, with action, and we honor competitively. I love the verse, outdo one another in showing honor. Do you have one of those friends who's competitive about everything? Do you have one of those friends? Is Taylor Hill here today? Do you have one of those friends who is competitive about everything? Who, like, it doesn't matter what you're doing, they're keeping score in their head, right? They might not be writing it down, they might not be saying it out loud, but they know, right? Is that, is that you got somebody like that in your life? This scripture is saying we should be like that when it comes to showing honor. We should be competitive in showing honor. We want to outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, no matter the situation, look at David again. Here's my daughter. I'm going to show you honor. Here's a spear. I'm going to show you honor. We should be outdoing one another and showing honor. You might be in a situation where you're being mistreated or insulted. You, might, you need to think to yourself, how can I outdo them in showing honor? How can I win by showing them more honor? You may be the center of honor. You, it might be a day where everybody's applauding you, right? Like seniors today. It might be your day today where everybody's applauding you. What should be going through your mind right now? You want to live boldly and not like everybody else. You should be thinking, how can I win today by showing more honor to others than was shown to me today? 
outdo one another. Imagine the transformation in our church and in our community if that's how we live. Could you imagine that we're, we're a place where we're not worried about, about trying to win in arguments. We're trying to win in showing honor. We're not worried about, about uh, 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 people necessarily looking at us or applauding us or patting us on the back. I'm worried if I'm patting you on the back enough. I'm worried if I'm honoring you enough, if I'm exalting you enough. What would our church look like? What would our homes look like, right? Could you even imagine as I think about it, I, was, I drove my two older boys here today, and they're in the back seat, and they've got their Pokemon cards out, and they're just, you know, they're doing, they're like pretending to fight with their Pokemon cards, and then it gets super heated, and they start really yelling at each other, and he goes, stop, Jude goes, stop killing my Pokemon, right? And I go, Jude, is he ripping your cards up? And he goes, no. And I said, are they, like, are they dead, or are they just cards? And he goes, they're just cards, and I go, and chill, man. Like, relax. Like, they're just cards, dude. What are you freaking out about? What would be different? What if instead they're in the back seat and Jude's trying to compliment Max, right? Like, Jude's trying to be like, man, Max, you're so great at this game. And Max is like, no, you're so great at this game. Wouldn't you love to have to break that up? Guys, would you stop it? You're both great, right? Like, what, that would be the best, right? What would, what would God do? How many people would be attracted to the genuine love of God in our community if this was one of the ways that we live boldly, where we were always just trying to outdo in showing honor. That'd be incredible. Honor more and honor more. When you have to confront an employee, how can you honor them more in that confrontation? When someone blindsides you with an argument, your first thought should be humility and honor. How can I be humble in my response and how can I honor them in my response? When you make a decision that affects others, humility and honor, right? And so a bold life, I think these two principles have to be part of it. Honor, uh, humility first, honor more. Remember joy. Remember Jesus, others before yourself and honor more. Win, outdo them in showing honor. Um, and, and you know what? I'm gonna challenge you. Would you guys do that this week? Seniors, will you do it? Your last assignment. This is your final for the church, all right? It's real serious, okay? So the, all these get graded by Jesus. So, all right, so do that this week. In, in church, would you do that this week? Would you endeavor to humility first, honor more? And then you know what? I wanna hear your stories. I told you my email earlier, granitccbartlett.org. I believe that if we do this this week, I believe God's gonna do crazy stuff for us. I wanna hear your stories. I'd love to share them too, so please send them to me. Um, but uh, let, me, let me pray for us. We're gonna continue in worship together. Lord, we are so, so grateful for the opportunity um, to hear your word this morning. We're so grateful for the opportunity to hear from you. I mean, that's, I, I pray that's what happened this morning. Lord, I pray if there's anything I said that's of me, anything that's um, distracting, uh, that God, it, it wouldn't uh, be in their, in their minds. God, you would wipe it from their memory. Um, and that God, they would only remember what you've spoken to them today. God, I, I don't, I'm, I'm so grateful that I don't have to just live this life. I can live a bold life and I can embrace what you have for me, God. And, and that's true for everyone in this room. And so I wanna pray for my brothers and sisters out there, God, that you would help us choose humility first and honor more. That God, that would be a, a, a characteristic of our community. Humility first, honor more. And God, in doing so, trusting you, just like David, embracing our disadvantage, when we humble ourselves and when we show honor, we're not worried if people are gonna take care of us, we're not worried if people are gonna honor us, we're trusting God. 
We're embracing our disadvantage. We're trusting God. Would you help us live a bold, bold life like that? Lord, I also want to pray for people out there who um, they haven't been living a bold life. They've been living a very average life. Maybe they have a crazy story. Maybe it's tragic. Maybe it's, it's successful. Maybe it's all these other things, but, but it's, it's average. It's normal. And it's because they're not following you. Lord, my prayer today is that they would come to the realization that they need you. That God, the, their sin living for themselves has separated them from you. And that today you're offering them a way home. And that way is not through their own spirituality. It's not through their own goodness. It's not through a preacher or a church. It's through the blood of Jesus that they would know that the Son of God took their sins on himself on the cross and you poured your wrath out on your Son. And he died their death, the death they deserved. And you rose again three days later so that they could live a new life, so that they could be forgiven, that they could come home today. Lord, if there are people out there that need to come home, today. I pray they would. If that's you, if you need to come home today, talk to the Father right now. Quietness of your heart and mind. You say, I don't know what to say. He's listening. He's your dad. He's so good. And he's listening. Just in the quietness of your heart and mind, you don't have to say it out loud. Just say, Dad, I'm coming home. I'm sorry. I live my own way. I'm sorry. I know my sin separates me from you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you are who you say you are, Jesus. I believe you are God, and I follow you now. I belong to you. I'm coming home. If that's your prayer this morning, you know what the scripture says? You are now a child of God, forgiven and new. You aren't rejected. He hasn't judged you and thrown you away. You are accepted and forgiven and made new. You are home. Thank you for your love for us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to worship together with uh, one last song. And as we do, um, ask you to respond how the Lord's leading you. Stand and sing and celebrate as loud as you can. If you need to pray with someone, pray with someone. But let's worship, let's celebrate what God has done this morning.